0: We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for the worship in this place. We thank you, Lord, for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, we thank you for all the young men and women who came this morning and helped us set up, God. We thank you for the strength you've given us to be able to keep on building this church for you, God, and doing what you want to do in our hearts and minds. So right now, Father, we submit ourselves to you, we submit our hearts to you, we submit our minds to you, God. And we ask you, Lord God, that you would have your way. With somebody shout, have your way in Jesus name we pray. July July 31st the year was 1838 and the location is the island of Jamaica. And in, in this year this man named William Nibbs he hosted a grand party. It was like the beach party of the century in the island of Jamaica. And he got together 10,000 people. All these 10,000 people were former slaves. And they were gathering to celebrate what just happened in Jamaica at the time, which was their emancipation proclamation, which is where all the free- uh, slaves were freed. And so these slaves, these 10,000 slaves, they came, and they brought food, and they brought fire, and they had a giant picnic, and they built this humongous coffin. And in this coffin, they put the collars that went around their necks. They put all their chains. They put all the wicks that they used to get beat with. And for a whole day, these 10,000 people celebrated. Somebody say celebrated on the beach. 10,000 people once they were in bondage to slavery once they were slaves they used to be beaten and ripped, but now they were set free and they were excited and they were having this grand party on this beach but this story has a sad side because on that same island while many rejoiced in their new liberty and freedom there were some slaves that lived in remote parts of the island that did not know they had legally been freed. There was slaves on the island who continued to live in slavery and continued to live in bondage because they knew not that they were set free already. And their masters knew if they told them they would walk away. So their masters would not tell them of their freedom that they had. Just like Satan won't tell you about the freedom in Christ that you have. By law, they had been declared free men and did not have to live as slaves any longer. However, ignorance of truth kept them in bondage. Ignorance of truth, lack of knowledge will keep you in bondage. The word of God says that my people are destroyed for a lack of somebody shout knowledge. Here's an even sadder story than those slaves who remained in slavery. A sadder story. Is Because is, this story shocks you, and for me, when I read it, it gave me so much sympathy for the, for the slaves who were uninformed. But here, here's, here's the sadder story, that Christians don't realize they've been set free from the bondage of sin. And they continue to live in it. Because they did not know that Jesus defeated sin on the cross. This message of the cross, the whole message of the cross, in a nutshell, is this. Satan has been defeated. Sin's penalty has been paid, and we no longer have to surrender to sin or be controlled by Satan. We can belong to Christ, and we can live to please God. And this is the biggest tragedy in the world today, that we don't know we're free from sin. One of the greatest misconceptions, as I've said every week now, of grace is that because you're under grace, you can live as you want and sin as you want, but that's not what Scripture says. We can't just live how we want because we're under grace. Uh, Martin Luther, the the monk, the Catholic priest, rather, he he had this thing and he called it cheap grace when people would just use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. And, And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true freedom from sin. And today I want to, I want to speak to you about the freedom that comes only by his grace. In Romans chapter six, Paul, he's dealing with grace immensely in his, in these chapters. And in Romans chapter six, Paul, Paul says this in verse one. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. For how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, were baptized into death? We were bat- buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And death no longer has dominion over him. Over the death, or for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so Paul says this in verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. So let not sin Reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here's my favorite verse in my last verse. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall have no dominion over you. And Paul, he's writing this passage of scripture to the church in Rome. And he's dealing with all manner of things. And in this writing, Paul is laying out doctrinal truths. And and he seems, I love the way Paul writes. Because if you read the book of Romans, especially in some of the epistles of Paul, Paul will lay down a doctrinal truth. But then he'll know that what he just said raises questions. And so Paul, in turn, will ask the question that he thinks his reader will ask. And Paul, in the fifth chapter of Romans, he's dealing with the fact that Adam sinned, and because of Adam's sin, we all have sin in us. And then he talks about how Jesus died, and because Jesus, the one man, died, we're all made righteous because of Jesus. So Adam sinned, and we all sinned. Jesus got it right, and we all were imputed righteousness from God. And then he says this, he says, the law came, the Mosaic law, the do's and don'ts, law came so that the sin would abound, meaning that sin would grow. I told you three weeks ago, when the law came into effect, it pointed out sin, it made sin abound, it made sin grow. And before, you would not know what was sin, and, and, and now, because of the law, you knew what was right, you knew what was wrong. If you recall, the example I used was when you were texting on your cell phone while you were driving. Before it was a law, it was still dangerous and it was still wrong. But then when it became a law, the sin increased. And so he says, when the law came in, sin abounded. But wherever sin abounded, grace abounded more. What does he mean? He means that wherever sin grew, God had to pour out more grace and not punish us immediately for our sin because he had to show us grace. And so wherever sin grew and God didn't just destroy them, it was because he was giving more grace. And so Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded, somebody say more. So if you have one cup of sin, you're going to have two cups of grace. You're always going to have more grace than there is sin. That's the design of God. That's awesome. That's his design. It's But here's the clincher. So he says this. He says where sin abounds, grace abounds. And in verse 1, he then asked the question that any, and this is for those Christians who are carnal-minded, would you like to sin? And so he says this. He says, well, because we're under grace, should we keep on sinning so that grace will just keep on growing? Well, if I can have two cups of sin, I'll have four cups of water and grace. This is great. He says, by no means. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. He says this. He says, You are supposed to be dead to sin. He says in verse two, By no means you should keep on sinning. No, I'm I'm telling you, you should not keep on sinning. He says this. He says in verse two, What shall we say then? Are we to keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. And this by no means is very emphatic, very, no, you shouldn't do that. Because he says this, how can we, somebody say we, that we be us, amen? That might not be proper English, but that we be us, that we is me. He said, we who have died to sin, how can we still live in it? I'm going to walk up your street today. Yes, I'm going to get in your trouble today. Because how can you who are dead to sin still live a life full of sin. And and the problem, the problem with a scripture like this is it says, you who are dead to sin, but I wish I had an honest Christian today who knows that you feel very alive to sin. Sin knocks on your door and, and you don't always just stay behind it and hide. Sometimes you open what you want in my life. We don't always reject sin as soon as we should. And so he says, you're supposed to be dead to sin. But the problem with the church is that we feel alive to sin. But what the Christian doesn't understand is you're not supposed to walk by your feelings. You're supposed to walk not by what you see, but by faith in Jesus and Jesus only. And so we feel alive to sin, although he says we're supposed to have been dead to sin. Paul declares that we're not to continue in this life of sin. We find, I wish I had somebody honest, you find yourself in the snares of Satan. You find yourself slipping and falling and you find yourself in moments of your life where you don't please God. And the things in your life are far from what God would desire from you. And Paul says in verse 3, he's talking to you when he says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, whether by spirit or by water, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, meaning when you went down in the water, it was a physical signification that you were dying and going into the grave with Christ. And when you came out the water, there was a rebirth process happening. And he says, when you were baptized into Jesus, you came out in his resurrection the same way he came out of the grave. God wants you to walk in that same resurrection power in that same newness of life. And he's calling you to walk in the resurrection and not in the death of baptism. And he says, you are dead to sin because Jesus on that cross, he died to sin. Through our baptism, both spiritual and physical, we were buried with Christ. We were joined with Jesus in death and in his burial. We buried our old man and we took on the victory that Jesus had on the cross. As Paul states, walk in the newness of life. You are to be, somebody say, dead to sin. This phrase In the original, it doesn't mean, it it doesn't mean this. It it doesn't mean that you will be sinless or perfect. It it doesn't mean you'll be sinless or perfect. It, It means that you are not under the dominion. You are not under the legal authority. You are not under the reign of sin anymore. You are transferred now from the possession of Satan to the possession of God. And he says, in light of the fact that you now belong to Jesus Christ, you should not sin anymore. You should be dead to sin. You should be dead to sin. Church, you are like the slave living in your master's house, not knowing you've been set free. And being dead to sin doesn't mean you never sin again. Because even the fakest holy rollers sin in their hearts. Even the most hypocritical and the most seemingly perfect people, and you can ask any leader or any pastor, we sin in our hearts. We sin all the time. But this is what it means. Maybe you should write this down. Being dead to sin means that sin is a burden that afflicts us and not a pleasure that delights us. Sin is a burden that we carry. Because of our human flesh, but it is not a pleasure that we delight in and that we make provision for the flesh, that we make provision for sin. It says being dead to sin means you may fall. It means you may fail. If you have a down day, you might slip up. Just because, just because the slaves used to cut the grass for the slave master doesn't mean they never cut the grass when they're free. There are some things you might fall into and mess up in when you're not living under that master. But under this master, there's grace. Under this master, under the law, there was condemnation. There was death. But under Jesus, under Jesus, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And John said it. If you fall, if you have a down day, first John, you have an advocate. An advocate, that's a legal term. You have a lawyer who will get before the judge and say, that's my child. He's walking with me. He's living with me. Prior to Jesus dying, you and I, we were slaves to sin. And because of Adam's sin, you were legally bound to the power of sin. Because of Adam's sin, church, you were legally bound to the punishment of sin. Because of Adam, you were supposed to die. Somebody say, die? I need you to have more of an incredulous sound when you say that. Say, die? I need all the men to get your voice high pitched at the end. One more time. Die? Amen. You're doing good. You were supposed to die. Sin had dominion and authority. And the right to reign in your life. And just like God said to Cain, if you're not careful, sin will master you, master you like a puppeteer masters his puppet. Have you ever seen a ventriloquist and how good they talk? And you don't see their mouths move, yet yet they they're moving the mouth of this doll with their hands, and and they're they're talking without moving their mouth. You can barely see their neck moving. I mean, these guys are professionals, and so it is how the enemy enslaves you in sin. And he looks like he's not doing nothing. He looks like he's not involved in your life, but all the while he's got his hand on your back, and Satan is guiding you into sin. And your mouth is moving, but he's talking just like that. Sin will master you. But praise be to God that we have been set free by his grace. You are free. The power of sin has not been broken. It's been destroyed and shattered. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're dead to sin, alive in Jesus, and we're free. Sin has no hold and, and, sin's not holding on to you. You're holding on to sin. If you're walking with God, sin's not holding you. You're holding sin. It's, it's like, it's like that monkey, that, that monkey. Y'all don't know that monkey? It wasn't Curious George. It was, it was just some monkey who, who he, he went into this vase and there was this, this Cupcake at the bottom of this vase. And don't ask me how they got the cupcake in the vase, but there was this cupcake there. And, and the, the monkey, he, he looks in, he's, oh, there's a cupcake. Yes, I like that. He goes back and he sticks his hand in there. and He doesn't want to break the cupcake, so he just grabs it gently. And now he balls his fist up and he goes to get it out. But he's, his hand is now stuck in the jug and then and then it was his right hand and so what what happened was the monkey had to go to the do monkey business and 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 then the monkey while he was doing monkey business had to wipe himself and he could not because His hand was messed up, and then he got hungry, but he wouldn't eat because his right hand, the one he's dominant with, it was stuck in this jar because he was trying to get something, and all he had to do was let go to be free, and then he would be able to do whatever he had to do, but sometimes we hold on to that boy, that girl, we hold on to that addiction, we hold on to that lifestyle, we hold on to that negative spirit, we hold on to that gossip, we hold on to the hypocrisy, and we don't allow God to let some things go in us, and we say, God, when are you going to set me free, and God's like, dude, let go go. I set you free 2,000 years ago. Just let go. You're freed by grace if you would let go of sin. If you would let go, God will do the rest. We were raised with Jesus. We were raised into his glorious life. Scripture tells us and gives us this promise that any man who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has passed away. New creation. If if you're first coming to God, you can know if you're a new creation because people in your surroundings might judge you. Maybe people at work, maybe your family. And and when, when I when I first gave my life to God, I didn't realize it till recently when I was about 20 years old is when I really got saved. And I was 20 years old and my friends this time were seeing a change in me. And one of my friends, they were like, you know, you're acting brand new. And I didn't realize it then, but I was brand new. And I was reading the Bible a couple years ago, i like, if any man be in Jesus, he is a new creation. That's why I was acting brand new. That just makes perfect sense because I was brand new. And if anybody ever tells you, yeah, why are you acting so brand new? I am new in the name of Jesus. I am brand spanking new. And you may not like the new me, but God likes the new me. Somebody say, I'm brand new. And he says, you are new in Jesus Christ. When sin comes, your job is to fight it. You have a task when it comes to holiness. First Peter 2.24, talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins, meaning he carried them in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. We are to live righteously and not under the dominion of sin. Sin should not be a lifestyle. That's the big difference that I'm getting at today. Sin is not a lifestyle. Will we mess up? Yeah. Will you have a bad day? Yes. Will this walk be tough? Somebody say yes. But should I just keep on sinning because of grace? Paul says it, by no means. Here's my big thing for you today. Holiness has to be a priority in your life. Living right for God holiness is not how you dress it's not how you look it's it, but true holiness is an issue of the heart it's it's the interior of the believer becoming aligned with the heart of Jesus with the heart of the father it's the it's not the exterior example that you give to everyone else it's the interior working of god aligning your spirit changing your attitude changing your perspective on people changing how you talk and look at people that's the holiness of god Since when was it okay to sin rampantly and call ourselves followers of Jesus? Since since when was the minimum for God acceptable? Since when can we just do as we please in terms of serving God? Whatever happened to standing in the faith? Whatever happened to resisting the enemy and making him flee? Whatever happened for standing for truth and for righteousness? Whatever happened to really being holy and set apart for God? Whatever happened, church, to being set apart, living as he is holy? And the Bible says we should be holy because he is holy. There's got to be a reformation of holiness in your life where you get back to the basics of God. The basics of running from sin. Fleeing temptation. You are dead to the power of sin. James 4 verse 7. James, he he writes this, and you have to read the language of this. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you realize that you have a role to play in your walk with God? Church, do you realize God will not fight every battle for you? Right there, submit. Submit to God. There's something you have to do. You have to surrender in order for God to fight. But if you're trying to be strong in your own strength, He says right there, resist. You have to submit. You have to resist. That means saying no to sin. That means praying when temptation comes. That means rebuking the devil. Every time a bad thought might come into my head, you'll see me walking. I'll say it out loud in the name of, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The other day I was walking into BJ's and, and a negative thought came into my mind. I, said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I must have looked crazy, but I say it verbally for a reason. Because the word is what stops the enemy's process in your life. If I asked you right now, and I won't, but if I asked you right now to count to 10 inside your head, and then in the middle of asking you to count to 10, I said, what's your name? And you shout your name to me. Nine times out of 10, you stopped counting when you shouted your name. Because the word verbally stops the thought mentally. And so you have... Faith cometh by hearing the word. Sometimes you got to speak the word over your life. When the enemy comes, you resist him with the word of God. When Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. But too many times we play with sin. We flirt with temptation. We don't give in. We don't kiss. We We don't kiss the devil. We just flirt with the devil. And you don't commit fornication. You don't commit adultery. But Jesus, Jesus said, if any man even lusts in his heart, he's already committed adultery. I'm talking about rebuking the heart. I'm, I'm talking about when the enemy comes in, you have to resist its power in your life. In other words, I put it to you like this: You were in a five to six year relationship with so and so. Amen. You were with someone, so this is back to your high school days, you know, not your current wife. I don't want to get nobody in trouble here today, amen. And and you were in a relationship, young ladies. And ladies, you did everything for this girl, this guy because you were a good woman. When he came home, you cooked for him. You helped him with his laundry, and all the women said, I don't know about that. Amen. And, and you did all these things, and you would you would give him a back rub if you wanted a back rub. You would make sure that things were done. He would do his part. You would do your part. He cheats on you. You have a horrible breakup. But one, one day, after not seeing you for six months, he walks into the house. You didn't even know he's coming. He's like, where's my dinner? I know the two words that came out of everybody's mind. Hold up. <laughs> You mean what? You're going to do excuse me what you talking about, Peter, you're not you, you better get out of my house. This happened to me before. Sorry honey. And I just you would demand something and here's how you know if you're in bondage if you do it. And so you broke up with sin at the, at the altar, but then sin comes back in you. And he's like, drink that bottle. And you're like, okay. That's sin. And that's bondage. Here, here's something crazy. Imagine one of those Jamaicans who were set free. Their master comes and and after three weeks of being free, he sees him in the middle of the town. Hey, you. What, what, what are you doing? Get back to the house, cut the grass, and clean the toilets right now. And if that slave goes and does it, although he is free, he's still enslaved. And when you give in to sin, you are set free, but you're still enslaved. Because sin has more power over you. And and here's here's when you know you got it real bad. I'm not talking about usher. When you have it bad... Is is when, is when, suppose, suppose you did break up with that so-and-so. You're in a new relationship where you love someone, but they come back into your life. And just the very sight of them messes with the pit of your stomach. Guys, don't act so tough. You know what I'm talking about. And then you dodged, you dodged her in Target. You were like, oh, no, let me just. And then, and then, and then you see them. It messes with your whole interior. And then you reach out to them. You reach out to them. As as nope, doesn't matter how good your current girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife is. If you reach out to them, church, you're in bondage. Let me relate this back to sin. When you're living in the newness of Christ, he's blessed you. He's provided for you. He's given you a job, a home, a family, healthy children, a happy marriage. And then yet, yet in the midst of that, man, you still go to pornography. You are bound. You still go out to go clubbing and live wildly. You are bound. You still go out drinking, you still go out doing all the things that you know you should not do. You are bound. Although you're free, you're still living a slave mindset. Are you with me today? Ephesians Ephesians 4:27 is probably one of the most unpopular scriptures in the whole Bible. It says it says this, give no opportunity to the devil. We give a lot of opportunity to Satan. Half the time, he ain't even got to do no work. We do it all by ourselves, but the scripture is clear. Give no opportunity for the devil. Romans 6, verse 7, Paul continues, and he says this, for one who has died has been set free. Somebody say amen. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we have also live with Christ. So we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never again die. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he has died, he died to sin once for everybody, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Did you you just catch that? He said Jesus died for everyone, but he only lives for God himself. And although he's died for you, you have to now live for God yourself. Jesus ain't going to live for God for you. You have to live for God. He died for you. Jesus died for you. But he's not going to live the walk you have. To, he'll help you and empower you through it. He's not going to do it for you. Verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin. Alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. For those who have died in Christ, we've been set free from sin. We die with him on that cross. Our sins died with him. We die with him when we were buried. So in turn, also, we now live in that newness of life. And not only was he resurrected, he will never and cannot possibly die again. Why can Jesus not die, church? Because he beat the daylights out of death. That's the plat- that you should get a little bit more excited that Jesus beat the badukas out of death. Jesus won that battle. And I love what Paul says. He said he did it once, and he did it for everyone. My goodness. I don't have to fear death. Why, why would you fear death? Why would you fear death? People feared death prior to the, to the death of Jesus and the resurrection because death was final separation. In the eyes of man, final separation from God. And any man who would die without without knowing God before that, they were eternally separated from God. There was no way for my sinful self to ever get to heaven on my own or to be in communion with God because of the sin that was in me. Life, while well, alive was still a life separated from God, but death was like Satan's final victory. That was like Satan's final hoorah. That was his coup de grace. That was everything for Satan. In other words... <laughs> Death was Satan's means by which he triumphed over mankind. Seth, uh, death rather, was the way that Satan had his final victory in your life. It wasn't just bad enough. He bound you up. But when you died, he kept you. Because sin plays for keeps. He keeps you. But here's, here's the good news. When Jesus died, he defeated sin. He defeated death. And in turn, he was resurrected and walked in eternal life. So what does that mean for you? As a follower of Jesus, I can now live this eternal life. And although my mortal body, it might taste death, my soul will walk with God. My soul will be redeemed and I can walk in the newness of life, And Paul makes it clear in verse 23 of Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. Meaning that, that my wages are your wages. You go to work and the wages is what you get. Your salary, your payment, however you get paid hourly, weekly, bi-weekly. You get what you deserve most of the time. Amen. He says the wages, the cost of sin is death. But righteousness, righteousness church, holiness and righteousness, they bring life. And Paul declares that Jesus, he defeated death, and he defeated its dominion. And dominion, by definition, is the power to rule over something. And so Jesus, check this out now, he defeated death's power to rule over you. And he did it once for all, so you would never, ever have to suffer that yourself. What an amazing God you serve. Again, Paul declares that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. We're not living under its authority. We can resist. You can fight back. We are free. And his exact words are, so you also, meaning Jesus is doing it. And so you also should consider yourself dead to sin. Jesus died to sin. And so you also must die to sin. Church, this is for you. So you will consider yourself dead to sin. But what Paul says next, it's really powerful. He says this. He says, let not sin reign. Meaning have dominion, kingship, rulership. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. And when I read that, it really just it, it spoke to my heart. He says, let not sin reign or rule in your mortal bodies bodies. What is he saying? He's just talked about the immortality of Jesus. He's just it talked about the eternity, the eternal life that Jesus now possesses because of his resurrection. And he's trying to point you to walk with Jesus. But this is what he says. In other words, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, meaning don't serve a dying master. Serve a master who will never die again. For if you sin, you serve your flesh and you serve a dying master. Every time you sin, you are serving a dead man walking. Every time you speak out against God, you are serving a dead man walking. Because our flesh is destined to die. Lest God come and rapture us. We're destined to die. The mortality rate of the human race is 100%. Everyone dies. And he says this, when you sin... And you give in to sin? Because he says in in chapter 6, whatever you give your body over to, it is your master. And when you give in to sin, you are being mastered by a dead man. So don't let sin reign in your mortal. Meaning, the immortal means that you're going to die. You're not immortal. Immortal, men search for years for immortality. Men cross the globe searching for immortality. But he says, no, immortality rests only in Jesus. And you are, somebody say, mortal. Don't live under the power of a dying master. Subject yourself rather to righteousness, to the immortal King Jesus, who has won every victory he could possibly win. He has defeated death, he's defeated sin. Let him reign in you. Verse 13. He says this, he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You've been brought from death to life. You were in death, but he brought you over to the side of life. You were that slave, but he set you free. And he says this, present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members, meaning your hands, your feet, your body, your life to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. He says, sin will have no dominion over you. And I'll close with this. Paul is being clear that you should never offer your body over to sin. Paul says this. He says, says, I love his language. He goes, present yourself. Meaning, God's not just going to take you. You've got to make an effort to present yourself before God. He says, present yourself to God and the members of your body as instruments for righteousness. Meaning, in other words, let God use your life to display his glory. Let God use your life to display his goodness. Let God use your life for you are under grace, not the law. The choice is clear that you have to choose. You have to choose between God and between sin. And he says this, for sin will have no dominion over you. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Pastor, sin has a lot of dominion over me. I find myself slipping and falling. You know, in Romans chapter 7, Paul, he talks about his own sin struggle. He talks about there being two laws inside of him. He talks about every time he wants to do good, bad things happen. Every time he wants to do good, evil is right there with him. And he talks about the struggle that he has In his life with sin. He wasn't saying that he was perfect. What he was saying was that he was not going to surrender the members of his body, meaning his hands, his feet, over to unrighteous deeds or acts. He was saying, I am under grace. I'm not under the power of sin. In other words, in other words, he's saying this. Have have you ever been to a place in your life, church, where maybe you had an urge you could not resist? I wish you'd be honest. Maybe a guy, maybe a girl who they they could, you could not resist. Maybe, maybe it was a blunt. Maybe it was a bottle, whatever it was. Maybe it was just pornography. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was gossip. But you had an urge you could not resist. And somebody came by you and you were just like verbal diarrhea. Everything came out about the bad person you knew. Well, I'm just saying. I'm talking about, have you ever had an urge you could not resist? Have you ever had a sinful urge you could not resist? And all the time you told yourself next time it won't happen. Next time it is not going to happen. But every time it happened over and over. And are, are you with me today? That that right there, that right there is when sin has dominion over you. Meaning it has the power to make you. Like that master, a slave has to obey his master. And like that master, the slave would have to obey everything his master said. And there was a point in your life where you would have to obey everything sin told you. But those days, dude, they're over. There was this man who, his name was William, and William was a a fine young man. William was a a good guy. And one day, William started hanging out with the wrong people. He made a very silly mistake. And he went and held up a corner store at gunpoint. And in the process, this young man fired his gun and killed that clerk. First offense, never did nothing wrong before in his life. But William had done that in the middle of a crime spree. And so the court, they had one thing in mind. They wanted to throw the book at this young man. And they gave him 63 years for murder. And William, he goes into jail. He was not even six feet tall. He was about 5'9". And he was very skinny, very lanky. And he goes into jail. And people are shouting at him. And people are yelling at him. And on his first day, he didn't really intermingle with too many people, he just went straight to his cell and, and he looked at his cell and he went into his, 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 his little pack they gave him, he had a little pencil in there and he made a mark on the wall and just put one he said I'm going to be here a long time and the next day he woke up and it was day two and he put two and they let him out of his cell and in the showers sadly enough William was raped he was beaten and this happened over his life now for the next couple of years 10 years go by and Williams is still marking his wall and now he's beginning to become the people he's around and now he's bulking up he's been working out he's now the one beating up people he's now the one tattooed from head to toe and he went in innocent but now he's so bound up in what the lifestyle of prison was he had anger he had rage he was scary to people who first met him he got into drugs got into all types of mess while in jail 10 years go by and 15 years go by, and William's still marking his wall. 20 years, is, now he's marking the ceiling. 30 years go by, and 40 years go by. At year 49, William, he's paroled. He's paroled, and one day, they come to his cell. And they're like, William. He's like, what? Like, There's a lawyer here to see you. He goes out. He's like, what do you want? He's like, we went before the parole board, and you are being paroled. He's like, what? He's like, you're leaving. When? Right now. And William's like, you're kidding me. He goes, no, no, seriously, your sister is outside waiting for you. You have to understand, he went in, a 19-year-old boy, comes out of jail, 68 years old, institutionalized. And he His sister comes, she picks him up, and they embrace. And she she took him home, and she had made a a good dinner for him. Probably rice and beans, who knows? You know how Puerto Ricans are, amen? And they laughed. They told stories. They cried. They talked about how he couldn't be at mom and dad's funeral. They they just sat there till four in the morning. And eventually, it, it was time for William to go to sleep and and he made his way to the room that his sister had set up for him and he laid down on the bed but there was something bothering him he could not go to sleep and so he he reached in he, he reached into his bag and he got up off the bed and he sat on the edge of the bed with tears in his eyes he walked to the wall he said one and he woke up the next day and he marked two and Then he sat back down on his bed because William was so used to somebody having to get him to go eat he was so used to only having one hour of free time a day because he was in confinement because he was so violent he was not used to being free he was used to being rude he was used to being mean to people and he was in prison for so many years it changed the core of who he was and he was happy and he was free and he could walk out whenever he wanted but he stayed right there because he was so used to being in prison and some of you are so used to being in sin you cannot walk out the way God has ordained and you are marking your walls and you're living in sin day two, day three day year four four years and five years and six years and I'm walking with Jesus but I am stuck in sin you hate what you're going through but you go through it anyways because you become so used to being in bondage that bondage is more comfortable than freedom and it's not because it's true comfort it's because that's what you're used to and one of the greatest fears in the human mind is fear of the unknown fear of what might happen. Fear of change. And William, he had paid the penalty of his his crimes. He had done everything the government had asked of him. And although this is sad, what's sadder is that you still live in sin. And I'm not talking about when you mess up. I'm talking about the purposeful sins. The life of sin. And William, he spent so many years. Hear, hear this now. He spent so many years living under the penalty of his crime, that when they set him free, he did not know how to react. And I want to challenge you today, you who are struggling with this law, struggling with the with the whole do's and don'ts. You're struggling with all that, and you're struggling with sinning. You're struggling with addiction. You're struggling with all these things. Maybe it's not big things, but things you just want to change but you cannot seem to change it you've been struggling for months and weeks and maybe years and maybe right now you're struggling in your heart maybe it's your first time here today and you're in a mess in your life and you're struggling he you said I want to accept what he's saying but can it be that there is a God so crazy that he would love me to the point of setting me free when I deserve to be in prison and you've become so accustomed have, have you have you ever met somebody who's addicted to to the attention they get while they're in trouble. And so they always find themselves in a mess. Because right now, that, that just might be what you are. The person who is stuck in the life that God has already pulled you out of. You're like Israel, who when God set them free out of Egypt, they got into a tough spot. One tough spot, and they next, the first thing out their mouths. We should have stayed in Egypt as slaves. And Moses is like, what are you talking about? We're free. We're free. But in Egypt, they knew who would feed them. They knew their jobs. They knew everything. And so freedom comes with responsibility. And what scares you about freedom is accountability in your walk with God. What scares Christians out of really walking with God is the fact that you're going to have to make a decision and be accountable to your actions. Say, I will not walk in sin. I will walk in the righteousness that God provides. I will walk in freedom. I will not be in a mess. There's accountability that comes with that. And that accountability, it might just scare the daylights out of you. But here's the thing. His grace will empower you. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in the midst of your weakness. Maybe, maybe you're like William and you've been set free and you don't realize it and other things seem more attractive to you. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, but we ought to always give thanks to God And we give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved, by the Lord, because God chose you as his first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. And you might say, what does that mean, pastor? Well, what that means is this, is that maybe right now you're so worried about giving your life to God because you don't want to have to change. But here's, here's the beauty of God is that he will help you change. He will help you change. In scripture it's called sanctification sanctify it's the ever ongoing process of the drawing the believer closer to God and he says this listen listen if you give your life to me I will walk with you my blood will cleanse you and you don't have to live in that mess anymore I just felt in my spirit right now, there's some people in this room who you are not stuck in sin. You're stuck in an emotional scar. You're stuck in pain and you can't get rid of what what people have said about you and people have done to you. And you're stuck in emotional prisons. And you will never be free unless you allow God's grace to come on in. Because when you get a hold of how God has loved you, how people have hurt you, will begin to not matter. And you see that it was a tool for God to draw you into Him. Come on, with you, stand with me this afternoon. Come on, every head, body, back, close. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, you're here right now in this room. Lord, we're closing out four weeks of your grace, learning and just hearing about all the things you provided for us, God. And Father, you see every heart. Lord, you see every tear-filled eye. Lord, you see every sin-stained heart. Lord, you see every bruised self-worth in this room. You see every woman broken down by the words of men you've seen every man who's been rejected by his father in this room lord there are people from the front to the back in need of your mercy and grace in need of the newness of life to grab a hold of them right now lord there's some who've been walking with you but lord they've been dominated and and sin has had dominion over them But today, Lord, they're wishing and desiring to be set free once and for all like Jesus did once for all. God, they want to have a moment of difference right now where life cannot be the same. Lord, you see every mind in this room. Every mind that has been fractured by the conditions of their life. You see every person whose hope has failed. Lord, you see every person who they once had great aspiration, but Lord, life has defeated them. But Lord, they don't have to walk and defeat God. If you would just show them right now in this moment that a victory, victory is here. Lord, you know those addicted to pornography, those caught in ungodly relationships, those in fornication, God, you know, you see them, God. Would you touch their hearts right now? Lord, would you show them that you can still clean them up? You can still work a new work in them, God. And that grace is available at the feet of Jesus. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're going to talk to God, come on. If you know him, just talk to him right now. Say, God, I I, I, want to draw into you, God. I want to draw into you, Lord Jesus. Father, we want to draw near to you. Maybe you're under the sound of my voice and you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ and maybe you have, but you haven't been walking in it. And and you're saying to yourself right now, you know what? I need to be in that same freedom. I need to be in that freedom and not let sin reign in me any longer. Come on, every head, body, eye, close. And if that's you... Would you do me a favor right now? Would you lift your hand as high as you can? And you're the one saying, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus right now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. I want to accept him right now. Come on, hands are going up all over the room. I don't want to live in that mess anymore. I want to walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. I've been dominated by sin and I've been in a mess and I've I've not given God what I should have. But right now, you're saying, man, I want to grab a hold of that same grace. There's some people in this room, you are hurt beyond measure in your heart. You've been destroyed by the words of others. But yet the affirmation of God comes to you right now that you are not worthless. He has a call and a purpose for your life. Your mind is not fractured. You are saying, there is a woman here. You think you're crazy. And God says to you right now, you are not. You are under the unctions and the works of the enemy. But if you would get under the dominion of Jesus Christ, you will be set free right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, I sense freedom coming to some people right now. I see it like week one. I see a wave of grace coming into somebody's life right now. I see a woman here who you've done this before and you want to give your life to God. You want to walk with God and you've been coming but you're not walking with God and God's like struggling with you right now. Surrender to Him right now. Surrender to God right now. There's grace for you right now. I love how they say today is the day of salvation. Today is the day God will work in you. Today is that day. There's no place too far that you could go. There's no mountain you could climb far enough from his desire to have you. And maybe you've been faithless, but like I told you a couple of weeks ago, even when you are faithless, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, he is still faithful. He's still faithful. Is there anybody in this room right now who you want to accept God's faithfulness? You've been faithless, but you want to accept His faithfulness. Come on, lift your hand as high as you can. I I want to accept His faithfulness right now in my life. I've not been faithful, but yet I've seen the glory and the goodness of God in my life. And I want to give praise to Him right now. Come on, church, help me out. Pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I accept that I am a sinner. I want to turn my life over to Jesus Christ I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart that He is Lord I invite you in in my heart and I will do everything within my power to walk righteous and to be dead to sin today i want to walk in the newness of life that jesus offers somebody shout shouted i am a new creation in jesus name come on i am a new creation in jesus name come on somebody shout it like you believe it i am a new creation come on maybe you were bound by hurt i dare you shout it out i am a new creation I'm not broken anymore. I'm not hurt no more. I'm not scarred no more. I'm not under the enemy's whip no more. I am walking in the grace of God. Come on. Somebody shout I am new in Jesus.